it's a mindset practice, right? You're practicing patience and you're shifting your perspective. It seems simple in theory, but just like a movement practice, just like a physical practice, it takes time. And it also takes time for your brain to really rewire. And it's tough because a lot of times it's difficult to see that long-term progress because we want these short or quick instant hits of gratification. But when you really stick to these mental practices in the long run, the long term, then you really start to see the change. And it's easier to start shifting that perspective. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to another edition of our interview series focusing on GLOW teachers. Today, I'm interviewing Katie Baki. Our GLOW team wanted me to ask Katie about her approaches to handling stress and navigating burnout where she spoke to the power of pranayama breath practices. She also shares about her early yoga practice, which once leaned heavily into asana and has since evolved to include meditation, breath, and differing approaches to balancing yin elements with yang. She also has fun boxing, doing Krav Maga, and practicing Pilates. Katie has a retreat in Costa Rica coming up, and we'll give you the details for that in the episode notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. So great to be here with you today. I took your mindful transitions flow this morning, so I'm feeling extra mindful at the moment. (laughs) What was it about that class that kind of allowed you to tap into that mindset? I like how you refer to, and you did it at least twice, beginning and towards the end, might've been a few times in the middle there as well, the concept of when there's a challenge, like how do you handle challenge? How do you speak to yourself is what you're saying. And then towards the end, you remind us that a lot of this work is, uh, or can be in service of bringing attention to how our mind works and learning about ourselves. So that coupled with the, uh, some of the transitions or, or poses I typically don't do was helpful for me. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I, you know, I think for me, the practice of yoga is so mental. Um, and so when we can really pair that mental quality or state to asana, it, it, you know, it becomes really powerful. And it got me thinking, I think you recently completed a master's degree in clinical psychology. Is that correct? Yes, I I did. It was, it's, it's been a while, but yeah. (laughs) You mentioned that yoga is so mental. I'm curious how your interest in yoga and your academic studies overlap, meaning how has your interest in human psychology informed your experiences of yoga? Yeah. So for me, as somebody who has studied anxiety um, extensively and as somebody who also experiences anxiety, I was really drawn to the mental elements of a yoga practice. And it was during a time in my life, I was in graduate school and I was studying, you know, clinical psychology and I was very burned out. I was very stressed out. And I just remember feeling so anxious and somebody, you know, recommended that I started practicing 
yoga. And so I, I popped into a yoga class and started practicing. It was vinyasa, it was ashtanga. And as much as I loved the physical elements, the asana, I really enjoyed that. What I really noticed was the the mental benefits. So not only was I feeling really good while I was in that class, but it had this lingering effect even after the class and I felt calmer and I felt this clarity. Um, and so learning breath work, and this is something, again, they teach you in my course of studies, the impact of breathing and nervous system regulation. So I was used to all of that. And I studied that and I would practice that with my my with my clients at that time. And so to see how these two subjects, yoga and psychology or behavioral wellness, how they intersect and correlate, it was a no brainer to me. And I really fell in love with yoga practice for that reason, for, for the mind. So, you know, that's when I really started to, to notice how yoga can, can create change mentally. And, you know, I fell in love with the practice. I started my first teacher training, or I went through my first teacher training, fell even more in love with it, started teaching in grad school for extra money. And then, you know, it was after my master's, I was enrolled in a doctoral program. And I was going through a class on on my, my, my dissertation, what I was going to write my dissertation on, I was like, you know, I love yoga. I was working with kids at that time. I was like, let, let's see if I can figure out or find some correlation between the practice of yoga and cortisol levels in children, which are stress hormones. Um, mm. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, in order to do this research, I either have to hire a yoga teacher. And I quickly found out that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would cost a lot of money and I was in grad school um, or I could go through a training myself, become certified and, and teach for this particular study. So I had a light practicum uh, one semester, one summer, and I, I, I did a 200 hour teacher training. And again, I, I just I loved it. And the next semester, I actually chose to mindfully stop that doctoral program I was in and teach yoga full time, I just saw the impact and the, the kids that I was teaching, or the groups, I would say that I was teaching at that time. Um, and I saw the power in it. And I think it's very different as you practice yoga, and you're seeing the change within yourself. But when you're leading a class, and you see that change in your students as well. I mean, it gives me goosebumps to talk about, um, because it is very life changing. Oh, that must be so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Silent time, uh, focus on awareness and breath are so essential for me, as is movement. Like my body needs to move. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I do too. <laughs> I do too. I've learned that that's what works for me as well, you know, and it's not just so often we think of, oh, it's movements, it's endorphins, it's feel good. But when we are really in this, asana practice or a yoga practice it's that pranayama kind of that Derek you mentioned the the attention to breath and when we look at how impactful the breath is on our nervous system um and it and it is then we can really see okay i'm practicing yoga i'm present i am 
breathing. I am noticing my breath. And when we do all these things, it sends signals to our nervous system to calm us down. So it's movement in conjunction with noticing the breath and becoming aware of it. And that's when it starts to really become impactful as well. And bringing it back to this monitoring of how we're speaking to ourselves, do you see that changing in children as well? Do you have, have you gotten any reports from children as to how their internal dialogue shifts? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I can give you kind of a story. I was teaching yoga to a community community mental health organization. I had three groups, three different age groups. I was teaching to a group of elementary school kiddos, a group of middle school children. That was the tough one. Um, and then I was teaching to a group of um, adolescent girls who were in that inpatient unit because of crimes that they had committed. So it was a forensic group. Um, this one was the most, I would say, rewarding. I, I, and I remember it clear, clear as day. I was teaching this group of girls kind of how to use their breath as we were doing just very simple stretching, just basic, basic pranayama. And we, I worked with them weekly. I remember it was after about a couple, two, maybe like two months, I was working with the same group. And one of the girls had come up to me after a yoga session. And she was like, you know, I, I just want to tell you, I was in the, the, I was in the lunch hall and I would basically, she was having an altercation with another girl and she was about to become physically aggressive. And she said, I, I did what you said, you know, I took a couple deep breaths and I calmed down. And when she told me that, I was like, wow, like you're really applying this. And then she was talking about how sometimes the yoga sessions are help her more than therapy with Miss So-and-so. And, -so. and um, you know, when, when, when you can see it applied and in action, it's really, really cool. So yeah, I've definitely seen that. And I've worked with really young kids also just in breath work, like, Hey, pretend. And, and I, and I do this with them, you know, as exercises, get a straw, get a little cotton ball. And can you, sl how slow can you push that cotton ball across the table, blowing into the straw, using the breath out and, and they do that and they practice it. And so, you know, learning, for instance, if I'm working or if I had worked with a child, you know, with panic disorder, or anxiety and where they're really hyperventilating to kind of use these techniques. Okay, I'm going to take a breath in. I'm going to pretend like I'm breathing through that straw. How slow can I visualize or move that cotton ball across the table? Um, and it can help calm them down pretty instantly. Mm, that's powerful. Life changing tools you're teaching the children. It's a mindset practice, right? You're practicing patience and you're shifting your perspective. And sometimes we have to be taught how to shift our perspective because for a lot of us, and especially children, it doesn't really come naturally. We have to guide them. We have to show them. And, mm -hmm. and that's, and a lot of my classes, I like to do that also is to really work on perspective shifting. And, um, it seems simple in theory, but just like a movement practice, just like a physical practice, it takes time and it also takes time for your brain to really rewire. Um, and our brain is plastic. It can change and it's tough because a lot of times, you know, it, it's difficult to see that long-term progress because we want these short or quick 
instant hits of gratification. Um, but when you really stick to these mental practices in the long run, the long term, then you really start to see the change. And it's easier to start shifting that perspective. I agree. Shifting perspective and mindset is often neither simple nor easy and requires just a constant vigilant practice. All right. So switching gears, our team just so much values the time they spend with Glow Teachers, you know, the whole journey of onboarding with you, developing the relationship, prepping for classes on a regular basis. And so I asked them what they think our members might like me to ask you, our, our instructors. And so I have a list of questions here and I know we won't get to all of them, but uh, to start off, like what's it like uh, behind the scenes working with Team Glow? Yeah, I I mean, I, I love it. Um, the, for, for me personally, one of the best things about being with Glow is just being able to teach with some of your role models, you know, mm. like it was, I mean, years ago, way longer, way, way back before I started teaching for Yoga Glow, I looked to Yoga Glow as like the, the leaders in the yoga industry, the teachers there. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, aspired, they were my role models. And so being able to teach alongside of your role models is powerful. So, you know, these teachers are so experienced and they have so much knowledge and the Yoga Glow team, they live their yoga. It's authentic. And to me, I mean, there's, that, there's, there's nothing more important than actually living authentically your yoga. And you see that and you feel that with the Glow team. And I have never experienced that with any other team that I've worked with the way that I do with Glow. Wow. It's top notch. It, and it's top notch instruction too. It is top notch. You know, these teachers have gone through so much training and you can see it in the way that they teach, you know, the, the cues that they give, the way they hold space. So yeah, and it, you know, it keeps you on your toes also as a teacher to mm -hmm. continue learning and to continue studying and to stay really hungry for for that knowledge. Um, so it inspires me. It inspires me also. And you mentioned staying hungry for continuous learning. That is a characteristic that we're very much drawn to both in teachers uh, and GLOW team members. And we've learned is typically associated with uh, growth mindset, curiosity, greater self-awareness, and so much more. And so I'm extremely grateful to hear that that has been your experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's how I feel truly. So I, I'm honored to teach for GLOW. Oh, thank you. Or honored to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we often hear from our members that, you know, even though they haven't met GLOW instructors, they begin to feel this connection, like a helpful connection that seems to persist um, over time after practicing with them. And we often hear that uh, you know, from, from our teachers that, uh, they meet GLOW members, you know, either at their teacher trainings or workshops, or, you know, people may even uh, approach them out there in the public that say some kind of version of, you don't know me, but I feel like I have a connection to you because I, I practice with you so much on GLOW. And, you know, it's as if, like what we hear often is that the member feels as though you created the class that they're taking just for them. And, and so you know, our team is interested in, do you approach teaching online in any way that might help create that effect? Yeah. Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I think when, 
we look back at the very, very beginnings of asana practice. It was one teacher kind of guiding one student, right? Krishnamacharya did this. That is how he taught asana to one student at a time. So it wasn't really one teacher teaching to a group of 30 students in a room, right? Um, Asana has kind of evolved into what we see it today with these, these group classes. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with, with those kind of classes. What I, what I think is when we practice in our own space, when we're by ourselves or perhaps with a significant other, right? And then with our teacher, it can feel a little bit more meaningful and it's very, very powerful. We don't have, you know, the distraction of the other students around us. And I think with these glow classes, it can often feel as if you are one student being guided by your teacher, just kind of like how Asana was, was originally taught by Krishnamacharya. Um, so when I look at it that way, I think it's pretty cool. Um, right? You're the only person in that room and the teacher is talking to you. So if you take a glow class, you'll notice the teachers are talking to the student. It's not just that they're, you know, performing or demoing these transitions or poses. You're making eye contact with the student. You are talking to the student and that energy transfers and you can feel that. Mm -hmm. So I think in a sense, it kind of brings us back to our, our roots in this like very evolved way um, to be able to practice in your own space and to be able to practice when you need it the most and whenever your schedule is flexible in order to do it at home with your teacher. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like that kind of helps foster that connection, Derek, that you were talking mm -hmm. about. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If you are, okay, okay. if you, if you're feeling as a teacher, I'm not a teacher, but I'm, I'm, projecting or imagining here that uh i'm connecting even though i can't see you on the other end i'm connecting with you by uh feeling present and and finding um any moment that is helpful to what it is that i'm teaching to create those moments of connection whether that be through direct communication or type of cueing or like you said eye contact then absolutely that that's that's an energetic flow that certainly be received on the other end yeah yeah i definitely agree and and i feel it too when i take classes as well so i, I see it as a teacher and i see it as a student because i'm a student as well you know it's actually uh, I, I don't ever speak about this but it's it was one of the greater <laughs> fears i had when starting yoga glow all the way back in, <laughs> you know, in 2007 you know putting everything i had uh, into this uh, it, it was a huge fear that i had that people would enjoy the process of, of, of practicing along with uh, highly talented teachers at home alone. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful and thrilled and uh, relieved that it actually worked. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and you know, I think that's the thing as well. It's when, you know, we're paired with these teachers who are just and it's the personality too. Like I absolutely, I it, I love the glow teachers. It's personality, and I can see that shine through the screen. And back to when I was talking about the authenticity, you can see that it's not just a monologue. It's not somebody just running through the scripts. It's really being able to see that person or teacher for who they are. So 
Yeah. Right. People often ask us like, how do we, what's our selection process? And so much of it is everything that you've already spoken to. Um, in addition to this other element that you're referring to, which is it's a feel, right? It's, it's how, like, what is, how, how is character coming through? Yeah. So what challenges have you experienced, if any, in terms of falling out of your commitment to your movement routine or mindfulness practice routine and, um, you know, what encourages you to find your way back? Yeah. So I, I think for me, the biggest thing is that we kind of have to, you know, realize that there's an ebb and flow in life. Like we all sometimes fall out of routine, you know, sometimes we're killing it and we're crushing our goals and we feel inspired, motivated. And then at times, you know, we, we don't for whatever reason, I think for me, I've noticed growth that occurs in that downtime actually. So it's kind of like when you work out, right? When you're working out, you have to take rest days. And those rest days are the days that your muscles adapt and they recover and they actually become stronger. Your nervous system has a chance to recover. So when I fall out of routine, I kind of take it as, I, I look at it like a rest day. I look at it as a day of reflection or a moment, a period of reflection. So I don't really necessarily look at falling out of routine as this bad, awful thing. You know, maybe my old routine just wasn't working anymore. Maybe I need to switch it up, do something differently. And so going back to shifting our perspective, we can do the same thing when we fall out of routine, right? So instead of feeling unproductive or lazy or, you know, unmotivated or beating myself up because I fell out of my routine, I've learned to kind of take a step back and ask myself first, you know, why, why, why did I fall out of routine? And so once I understand the why, then I can start creating a new routine, you know, so I don't know, maybe for instance, you know, you're going running every single morning at 6am, but one day you stop and you kind of fall out of that routine. Well, chances are, it's not necessarily your lack of motivation, but maybe it's your body, you know, telling you that you're burnt out, that you need a break from that routine, right? That previous routine may not be working. So instead of beating yourself up over it, start to shift your perspective, create a new routine. So instead of, you know, running every single day, maybe you run every other day and you do yoga during those in-between days, right? Or maybe it's because you're not getting enough sleep. So instead of, you know, running every morning at 6am, you shift that routine to 6pm. So kind of finding what works for you. Because a lot of times when I personally fall out of routine, it's because that routine is not sustainable, or it's because I've outgrown that routine. So I have to take a step back and reflect on why that routine was not working anymore. And then, you know, I start to create a routine that better serves me. It's so healthy to be aware of or to be monitoring uh, whether or not we have grown out of an old way of operating. I know the times that I've hurt myself physically, (laughs) inadvertently, you know, have have been a sort of me going, kicking and screaming from an old pattern, which served me then, uh, but no longer serves me now. And, And so like pulling on that, like how has your yoga workout practice evolved over the years? Oh, man. So again, I initially was, I, I gravitated to yoga practice because of the the mental benefits. It kind of shifted, honestly, a little bit. 
So, you know, when I was teaching yoga in LA for years and years and years, I started becoming really infatuated with asana practice. You know, I was teaching for a company or studio that uh, was very, very, uh, a very physical based kind of model. Um, and so I was, I was teaching a lot of asana, I was teaching a lot of asana. And even in my practice, you know, uh, working towards shapes that, and honestly, I'll be completely honest. It, it was more of contortion. It was really like gymnastics when you, when you, when you mm -hmm. look at it or when I'm looking at it now and wanting to get students into these peak shapes or wanting to get my body into these peak poses. And I'm not going to knock that because there's a lot of mental work that comes with that as well. It's discipline, it's patience. Um, it's a lot of ego work. Sure. But I think when it came down to it, I had to go back to the why. So after years of kind of teaching this very, very heavy asana, it started to feel inauthentic to me. And I really had to, again, pull myself back, take a step back and ask myself, well, why am I teaching this? Why am I doing this? Why did I fall in love with yoga? And it wasn't necessarily the asana. It's again, it was back to that mental component. So I challenged myself and I kind of took a step back in a vinyasa routine or practicing vinyasa so much. And I really started to practice yin and my yoga practice looked different because it wasn't as much movement. It was more like setting aside time to read ancient texts, like go through the sutras again or read the Upanishads again or, you know, brush up on Bhagavad Gita. And so instead of taking time for a physical vinyasa practice, I really forced myself to take a step back, to fall back in love with my initial intention for teaching. So my routines actually changed a lot. You know, it's, it's more meditation. It's more breath work. Um, it's more reading these texts. It's a lot more yin and gentle stretch. Um, and that works for me because I live a very young lifestyle. So it balances out the young and that's how I've put my routine back together. Yeah, that's lovely. At different stages in life, there are different ways of, of being and our, our body changes and, you know, it's, it's beautiful and lovely to, to explore all of it when we can, but, at, but also to evolve and, and to change in the way that you have is it comes across in your teaching. I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you. And outside of fitness, yoga, any favorite hobbies or activities that you tend to enjoy? Yeah. So I have a dog. <laughs> I have two cats. Um, <laughs> no, my dog, he's a border collie mix. So he takes up a lot of my time. Um, so I, I saw a recent <laughs> Instagram post where you have your, your dog and you ask questions of like how how strange it is that we have these animals living in our home and you know we, we have a dog as well and so yeah that, that was a funny post to watch to, to I, watch that video he i just love that dog so much you know but he takes a lot of time we go on a lot of walks so you go hiking he's he's my buddy he's my little companion we do everything together so i do i spend a lot of time with him um i i also like i you know as a hobby i enjoy movement i enjoy all types of movement and it's it's one of those things where even though in my yoga practice, I've kind of gravitated more towards the introspective part of that practice. Um, but I like, I enjoy other types of movement also. And I think that helps me as a, as a vinyasa teacher. So 
you know, I like right now I've been training in martial arts. I practice Krav Maga. I, I love boxing. You know, I do Pilates. So incorporating lots of different types of movement also helps me as a teacher. Uh, I really, you know, I guess I kind of enjoy the mechanics and the anatomy and it's fun to be able to move your body in different ways. And so, you know, I guess that would be also one of my hobbies. Yeah. So do you have anything coming up either online or out there in the world that you'd like to announce? Like where can people find you online? I, I saw that you're offering a retreat in Costa Rica in the middle of this year. Yeah. So I am hosting a yoga and sound healing retreat in Nosara, Costa Rica, May 27th to June 2nd, this year of 2023. So I'm so excited. So Nosara is beautiful. It's this little coastal beach town. So you get a little bit of jungle with a little bit of water and ocean, a lot of exploration. So I've got that going on, which I'm so excited for. So there's also spots available and open to sign up. Um, and then you can also reach me. I'm pretty active on social media and I love chatting with all my students on Instagram. So you can find me at Katie, K-A-T-I-E underscore Baki, B-A-K-I and shoot me a message on Instagram because I would, I love the connection and I love to really get the chance to kind of talk to everybody also through social media. Great. We'll put those links in the show notes. Love Nosara. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Katie. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Derek. I'm again, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be a part of the Glow fam and it means a lot to me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we're honored to be working with you. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at Glow. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills. Derek Mills.